Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Either you are with us or you are with the terrorists. If you've got health care already, then you can keep your plan if you are satisfied with it. Donald Trump is not going to be president of the United States. Take it to the bank. Together, we will make America great again. We shall never surrender. Never surrender. It's what you've been waiting for all day. The Buck Sexton Show. Join the conversation. Call Buck toll-free at 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. The future of talk radio. Buck Sexton. The Democrats have really let them down. They've really let them down. They had this great opportunity. The Democrats have really let them down. It's a shame. And now people are taking advantage of DACA, and that's a shame. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everyone. Great to have you here. An honor and a privilege, as always. President, they're making quite clear, well, a few points on immigration. Uh, Most importantly, immigration fight is not over. The president is not throwing in the towel. He's saying he is not done with this one. In fact, he is going back to his earlier negotiations with the Democrats over DACA, the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program. And he's saying, look, the Democrats weren't even willing to negotiate over it. You see, they just want amnesty. They're just the party of illegal aliens now. They are pro-illegal immigration. They don't think there should be any concession. They're not willing to have a talk about what comes next and what needs to be done. They don't want more border security. They don't want more interior enforcement. And this is a radical shift even for the Democrat Party. It's occurred in about the last... 20 years or so. It is quite different than their stated positions in the past. The uh, editorial boards, the Washington Post, the New York Times are now closer to open borders than they ever were. And there's greater uniformity and unanimity among their editorialists on the issue of being pro-illegal immigration than at any time previously. Trump is saying there's not going to be a docking deal. He uh, tweeted out over the weekend the following border border patrol agents are not allowed to properly do their job at the border because of ridiculous liberal Democrat laws like catch and release getting more dangerous caravans coming. Republicans must go to the nuclear option to pass tough laws. Now, no more DACA deal all in caps. Before we get into what this refutation of any possible DACA deal would be, let's start with the caravan. What is he talking about? Because, folks, this is going to get very interesting. You have approximately 1,200 people who have gathered together um, who say that they are fleeing their countries because of uh, fleeing Central American countries because of the uh, violence and persecution that they face in their countries. Now, they are in Oaxaca, Mexico, actually one of the few places in Mexico where I have been. I will tell you, tequila is delicious, the sun shines brightly. That is an aside. 
They are in Oaxaca, Mexico, or Mexico, if you will. And they are 420 miles or so from their starting point. They want to get to the U.S. border, turn themselves in, and claim asylum. You see, because of the current immigration laws, they will abuse this loophole and they will show up and say, oh, see, we had to flee our country of origin. In this case, almost all, uh, I believe, Honduras, some might be from El Salvador. And they're going to get to stay in the country, folks. They're not going to get turned away at the border. They're not going to try and sneak into the country. They're going to literally find and flag down the first border patrol agent they can and say, I'm claiming asylum. Now, you might say, well, do they all will they all receive asylum? Are they all going to qualify for asylum? And to that, I would respond, what do you think is going to happen in most of the sanctuary jurisdictions where they will end up? You think some judge is going to say, no, you don't get asylum from Honduras, which has one of the highest homicide rates per capita of any country in the world, which has been overrun by MS-13? No, they're going to say, well, we're a nation of immigrants, including a nation of illegal immigrants now. You get to stay. You get to remain here. But this is exactly the kind of optics that we need to focus on when we're talking about immigration and where the Democrats stand on all of this. You've got a thousand people making their way, 1,200 or so, making their way to the U.S. border who are just going to be able to stay in the country because of our current immigration laws. We have to change these laws. We also have to put more pressure on Mexico. They're not legal in Mexico either, folks. You know, Mexico used to be very strict about people from Central America coming into coming into its borders. Never talk about that all that much, do they? Oh, yeah, Mexico enforces its borders. To the south, they absolutely try to prevent people from coming in. But when they think, when, when they know, and the plan is that they're going to continue on through Mexico and make their way into the United States, they let it go. They let it happen. How can we consider the Mexican government to be good partners in border security if they are going to allow a caravan of people on foot to travel hundreds and hundreds of miles in a huge mass across Mexican territory in order to make their way into our country? No, they're, they're actually, the Mexican government is complicit in illegal immigration. And by the way, it's likely to only get worse. Uh, there's a, an election coming up in Mexico, and you have a, a, a leftist who is gaining ground there. You're going to have a government in Mexico coming up here pretty soon that is much more ideologically uh, aligned with, say, the uh, far left Central American states that have been disastrous in recent years, uh, the Central and South American states that have been disastrous, than even what we've got right now with uh, Peña Nieto. You know, the, the Mexican Revolutionary Party, the PRI, is, is corrupt, but they're not straight-up Marxists. You know, they're, they're, they're stuff to the left of them, and we may have a worse situation going on with Mexico. By the way, it's also why we need a wall. Because we can't be reliant on our uh, Mexican counterparts in the government to prevent immigration into our country, and we shouldn't rely on that. That's not sound policy. It's not smart for us to do that. But I'm, I am encouraged. You know, I, I was a little discouraged last week, as many of you know, and as you noted in your 
emails and messages to me. Uh, I was discouraged that President Trump had signed that omnibus bill and that he recognized right away that that was a mistake, that we should have fought more on this, that there should have been more at least made of what was going on here, that we did not get real substantial funding for the wall, that we did not get any changes to immigration law. And now we have to assume that unless the Republicans change the rules in the Senate, get rid of the filibuster and clear a pathway for, dare I say, ramming through the Trump agenda, which is what what they need to do now in advance of the midterms. We could be in for some tough times, my friends. The time is now. We do not have time to waste. We do not have time on our side. If we allow the narrative going into the midterms to be that Democrats get away with being completely intransigent on the issue of immigration, they get away with being absolutists on amnesty for illegal aliens. How can how can the Republicans really expect us to show up in numbers and preserve majorities in the House and the Senate? How could they really realistically think that would happen? The time for action on this is now. I also like that Trump is using our uh, leverage economically to try and get something going here. NAFTA has to be renegotiated. NAFTA existed really before the Internet, right? It's a very different world we're dealing with now. And so using NAFTA, using that trade deal as leverage with the Mexican government makes a whole lot of sense to me. Why wouldn't we tie these things together? Why wouldn't we use our economic ties to get what really amount to national security Uh, concessions from what's supposed to be an allied government, an allied state. So uh, I'm I'm encouraged to see the president's tweets. I'm much more positively disposed now toward the possibility of real action immigration. I'm not saying it's definitely happening, saying the fight's not yet lost. It's not over yet. Uh, I think Trump may have needed a little bit of a refresher, a little bit of a reminder from his base and from those who pushed to get him here. But I think I think the message has gotten through. So now we, we have to see if the Republican Congress will go along. By the way, we, uh, we have the White House uh, sending us one of their uh, top spokespersons, the Deputy White House Press Secretary, Hogan Gidley. He'll be with us in just a few minutes to talk about exactly this. He's going to tell us where the administration stands on the DACA fight. Remember, DACA is a large-scale amnesty program. It's going to be millions of people. That wasn't even enough for the Democrats. So what does that tell you about where they're planning to go if they ever make it into the majority again? Never mind if they are the majority in all three, well, in the House, the Senate, and the White House. You will have a massive amnesty for countless millions of illegal aliens in the country, and you can kiss the Republican Party goodbye. And even the, the fight for limited government, the fight for conservatism in this country will become... Uh, a quaint vestige of past political battles. It's not even really going to be meaningful anymore. That's what's at stake. That's what's really happening. here. So you got to see if Trump will fight. I say we fight. I think Trump's willing to do it too. Um, so I have some hope here. Uh, so we'll have the White House joining us in a little bit to talk about it. We'll also discuss the uh, the latest on Syria. That'll be coming up in the second hour. We'll talk about uh, the, the, the media using David Hogg as a weapon against their ideological opponents. It's getting worse and worse. It's really getting out of control. 
Uh, maybe some talk on the, the trade fight back and forth with China, although I think we've, uh, we've plowed that field pretty well at this point. And no pun intended, right, because I think they're getting some, uh, putting some tariffs on, what, almonds and some other food stuff. U.S. agricultural sector is going to uh, take a little bit of a hit for the exports we have to China. So we'll hit that and uh, basically a whole bunch of other, a whole bunch of other things. McKinley is now considered racist, by the way. I'll explain that one to you. That's gonna, I, I'm leave everyone on a cliffhanger, though. Who even knows who McKinley is in this country? Not that many folks. I mean, everyone who listens to this show, but most of America is like, McKinley? Didn't he play for the Yankees? But uh, former president, whose time in office uh, was ended by an assassin's bullet, uh, McKinley is now a, a controversial topic, believe it or not. Much to my uh, much more data goes into my theory here about how they're going to make every everybody in in history controversial that they don't like. That's what's going to end up happening. All right, so we got that and a lot more. Eight four four nine hundred two eight two five eight four four nine hundred buck team. We have so much show. Weigh in if you'd like. Otherwise, sit back, relax, chill, and let the analysis roll on by. Stay with me. I've seen this pattern many times. All presidents go through it. In the first year of a presidency, presidents really do rely much more on their staff and on outsiders and foreign leaders to ask, what do you think? What's going on? And as they settle into the job, they increasingly become more confident and they start to make their own calls and often disregard what the staff says. This is not unique to Donald Trump. They all do it. Uh, I think Donald Trump's got a superb team around him now. Donald Trump is the president, regardless of who the staff is. And whether people like or don't like Donald Trump, he got elected, and he's entitled to have his policies the way he wants them. But after all, it's up to him. That's Ari Fleischer, but, uh, you know, I think, what, am I wrong? You look at me like I had the wrong name. Oh, okay. I was like, that's Ari. I know, I know Ari. We go way back. I never met him, but I know who he is. We go way back to when I was in college and he was the uh, press secretary, right? Uh, but he's right, and he's saying what I've been saying, so obviously he's right. You know, what I mean? you know what I'm saying? Uh, he's telling everybody that, you know, there's, so there's shakeup in the White House. You'll notice that everything's fine. Everything's fine. Yeah, okay, so the Dow had a bad day today. A lot of, some swings in the Dow. You know, they got to they gotta get rid of some of the, you know, there's, there's buy and hold investors and buy and fold investors, you know? And so you're, you're knocking off some of the weak stuff right now from various stocks, you know, people that are just in it for the quick instead of holding on for the long. But it's all going to be all right. Stuff about China, a little bit of disruption here and there, but it's not the end of the world, like I've been saying. Okay, so they're going to hit back at some of our agricultural products now. All right, China, you want to play this game? We might decide it a little more, too. We're in a much stronger position than they are. I don't know why it became a consensus opinion among the U.S. foreign policy elites that other countries get to dictate the terms of deals and action to us, that they get to seize the initiative on things like trade, and we have to just deal with whatever we are we are given. I don't think that's necessarily the way to go, especially with China. Somehow, China putting tariffs in place has allowed it to become the second biggest economy in the world and had explosive growth for decades. So all this stuff about how tariffs lead to trade wars, they're going to impoverish you, seems a little overblown, doesn't it? Till now, it hasn't led to a trade war from China, or it's been a one-way trade war, and we've been losing it because we're not fighting it. 
And it's just been theft. The theft of wealth, of intellectual property that's gone on. As you know, I keep hitting it because I think it's very important. But despite all this, the president, according to Rasmussen today, is at 50% approval. Presidential approval right now is at 50%, 49% disapprove. That's right. We call those people vegans. Just kidding. No, but 49% don't approve of the president. And 50%, dude, 50% is a great number. It's better than where Obama was at this point in time. Now, I would like to tell you it's because of MAGA, because he's making America great again. That's a part of it, to be sure. First year was very successful. Things went well. And I know there's tough battles ahead. I was just talking to immigration before. But you know what I think is pushing the surge right now in presidential approval? If the Democrats could just just be normal, you know, just be normal for like a week or two, they'd be in a great spot. But they can't do it. Can't do it. All they have to do is not be crazy. And they're not really capable of it. I mean, for, for a day or two here or there, but eventually it comes out that they're the party. I mean, eventually, I mean, it's just a matter of days. They're the party of near open borders. They're the party of amnesty. They're the party of sanctuary cities. They're the party of lawlessness, of more taxation, of more ineffective government. I saw people run around today saying, you know, why don't we all teachers need to have a starting salary of 100000 because of this teacher protest somewhere. Starting salary of 100000 really? I was uh, brought into the most elite part of the intelligence community right out of college, and my salary was way less than 100000 everybody. It was just like slightly better than minimum wage, I think. I mean, my gosh. But Democrats can't be normal. Look at what they've done on guns. Uh, any honest observer of what has happened just on the gun control debate alone, we're going to revisit the issue of uh, David uh, Hogg running around and yelling at everybody in the second hour today. But all Democrats have to do is not be crazy. And on gun control alone, we see they're crazy and they're dishonest. So I think that's helping Trump out a lot. I really do. I think it's that they just can't manage to be normal. Um, we've got the White House joining us in a few minutes to talk about the DACA policy fight. And then uh, later on, we'll discuss the media's freakout about a possible conservative competitor. Oh, no. That and more coming up. If you wanted to see something get done and Democrats refuse to actually put something on the table or work with the president to get anything done. They wanted to use DACA recipients as political pawns. Uh, I think what's happened here is incredibly sad. The president wanted to make a deal. He made two incredibly generous offers that went far and above even what the previous administrations had done on DACA. And Democrats still refused uh, to make a deal. And I think it's because we're getting close to an election. Well, there you have Sarah Huckabee Sanders talking about DACA, the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program. President Trump has said there's not going to be a deal. He wrote it in Twitter. Well, what does this all mean? Where does it stand? We are actually joined by someone from the White House right now. We have Hogan Gidley with us online. He is the Deputy White House Press Secretary. Hogan, thank you so much for joining. Hey, Buck. Thanks so much for the time. So, uh, DACA deal right now, not going anywhere. Is this just the president calling out Democrats for being unwilling to even attempt to meet him halfway on this? What's the status? Absolutely. They just refuse to come to the table whatsoever. You'll remember the Schumer shutdown 
weeks ago, months ago, I guess now, where Democrats basically said, listen, we're going to stand up for hundreds of thousands of people who are here illegally and unlawfully, as opposed to protecting hundreds of millions of American citizens. That was exposed. Sarah made the right call just now where they're playing politics with people's lives. And Democrats decided that they just were not going to do anything to secure our borders. They were not going to have a conversation about a deal on DACA, even though it was three times that of the previous administration's offer for pathway to citizenship. And you'll remember, too, Buck, the right wasn't too happy with the president's plan. I wasn't too happy with it, to be honest with you. I thought it was a very generous offer to the left to start out with. They won't even talk to him, though. Absolutely. And that's what was so interesting is they were upset. Then people on the left were upset because they didn't like the the um, the enforcement pieces where we got rid of chain migration. We ended the visa lottery program, all dangerous programs for this country. And then we built a wall. They didn't like that part. So you can't define down the middle better than a plan that gave Democrats more than they wanted on DACA and gave Republicans what they wanted on uh, border security, protecting our, our, our southern border. And for whatever reason, Democrats, not only do they not want it, they wouldn't even come to the table to have the discussion. It's it's just it's 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 quite frankly disgusting. Now we have the midterms are going to be here before we know it, uh, Hogan. But in the meantime, people like me, <laughs> when I say people, I really mean Buck. Uh, but but we would like to know what is the White House and, and GOP majority's plan to get some things done on immigration. Are they just going to sit back and allow the Democrats to obstruct everything? Are they going to go with the nuclear options they can push through some legislation? Because it's not just a wall. There's also E-Verify that needs a look. Legal immigration needs changes. H-1B visas, interior enforcement. As you know, we could go all day on this. Can we expect some action in the next six months or so on it? Or is this just going to get put by the wayside because of the midterms? Well, I sure hope so. Uh, you know, the president has been all about action since he got into office. I mean, record-setting accomplishments and record-setting time. You saw the Heritage Report that said he had already accomplished 67% of what he wanted. That was before funding the military and before building the wall. So I imagine it's even higher now. But, you know, the other question, obviously, this, is a congre- this requires a congressional fix. Uh, you know, Barack Obama unlawfully and illegally uh, created DACA out of whole cloth. Many people say it's unconstitutional. We believe that it is as well. And Congress is required to fix the situation. So hopefully they can come to the table and get something done. But there is no doubt that we do not want to be in the same position five years down the road, 10 years down the road. And that's why the president wanted and still wants a long lasting solution to not just DACA, but as you mentioned, all the other parts as well. We started with the four, the four uh, pillars, as you'll remember, the wall, ending chain migration, ending the visa lottery, and then fixing DACA. And then we would worry about the second parts, the H-1Bs, as you mentioned, and the other ones uh, in future legislation. But leading up to now, this doesn't stop for this president. He doesn't just throw up his hands and say, well, I guess we're done. He, he wants the nuclear option. He tweeted about it this weekend. It remains to be seen whether Republicans will do it. But in the upcoming budget proposals, this president is going to put forth full funding for the things he wants in the wall and also revisit these uh, uh, crucial uh, enforcement mechanisms that 
loopholes that have been exploited for far too long by dangerous gang members like MS-13. And you know, Buck, this immigration system has been broken basically since Ronald Reagan uh, about 40 years ago. Yeah, and Reagan put forward an amnesty and didn't get the enforcement he was promised. He even went on record to say that he thought that was quite a mistake. We got Hogan Gidley with us on the line, folks. He's the deputy White House press secretary. All right, Hogan, I've got to ask you about the wall. Yes, there was a little over a billion dollars in funding for wall upgrades and a little bit of new wall in the last omnibus budget, but or the last omnibus package. Uh, but that's just one step in what's going to be a very, very long process. Can you just try to walk us through, assuming you have a Republican majority in the Congress that will play ball with the president and will push forward the agenda of getting a wall built, how is this supposed to work? Because I think a lot of folks, myself included, look at this and say, if they weren't willing to fight for a wall in this last omnibus, why should we think they'll fight for it in the next one? Well, remember, we, we put forth a package, our first budget, that never got a vote. The president put forth a, a budget that fully funded the wall, had these mechanisms for enforcement and safety uh, for the Customs Border Patrol in, in, our, in our package, never got a vote. Instead, they went for multiple continuing resolutions. It was just excruciating. No one could get that funding uh, streamed down in, in, in a two-year budget deal with CAPS, which is what the president asked for. It didn't happen. So remember, all we really have left is the six months. So what the president did was said, let's fully fund my wall for the six months, and then we'll put the more money in for the next budget that comes out. Because right now, they dithered around for so long, it took them forever to actually get to a vote. When they finally did, there were only really six months left remaining in the budget, so the president demanded. Hey, look, we didn't have to give up uh, – the. The, the Democrats don't want to build one inch of this wall. They don't want to pour one cube of concrete for this wall. We didn't give up anything to get it. Remember, DACA, again, exposing the Democrats' hypocrisy here, DACA's not even in the omnibus bill. But our wall is. And as we move forward, the president is going to push harder and, and remind the American people what's at stake here. Walls work whether it's in San Diego, where they've seen a 95% drop in illegal crossings, or the one around Jerusalem, where they've seen 99% drop in uh, illegal crossings. They know it works. Democrats are afraid of it because, as you know, they want open borders, and they don't want any enforcement, which is a complete 180 from where they used to be. You remember, Democrats used to be for a wall. They used to be for protecting the The border. Secure Fence Act, I remember it. Bipartisan, right. went through. Right. Protecting the American worker. They, went, they railed about that from the House and the uh, Senate floors. And here we are now, and they've changed, uh, done a 180 on it. The only two things have changed. Only two things have changed since that original uh, Secure Fences Act. One is the problem's gotten demonstrably worse, and two is Donald Trump's in the White House. That's really it. So it's obvious that they're playing politics here, and it's a shame for the American people first, and it's a shame for uh, DACA recipients second. Hogan, before I let you go, one more for you, and that's just for over a year now. I've been trying to inform the audience as much as I can about the uh, the opioid epidemic and trying to dig into it. We've had world-class medical experts on the show. I've had journalists who cover the cartels in Mexico on the show. And this has been an area of, of extreme interest for me. And it's just beginning to come out, it seems to me. And we had the Attorney General, Jeff Sessions, on a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and I asked, him that, I asked him about this. It's just beginning to come out that, in fact, illegal immigration and the opioid epidemic aren't just tied together. They're inextricably linked. Now, the president, more than anyone else, has done a good job of exposing how MS-13 is terrorizing communities across the country. That's certainly tied to the illegal immigration issue. But you're the deputy White House press secretary. Are, are you folks going to be working more to tell the American people that the 60,000 plus deaths that we had in the country last year from overdoses of opioids 
are overwhelmingly tied to cartel activity, illegal immigration, and a porous border. Absolutely. And listen, uh, we call it the crisis next door for a reason. It's no longer a friend of a friend of a friend who hurt someone who may have had an opioid uh, death in the family. This is people we know, people we love in our communities. They're getting these uh, drugs a lot of times from people who pour across the border. And remember, when they come across, it's not like they walk across and then get arrested immediately. They can bring and ship over with them, carry over with them opioids, and they can dump those pills uh, with someone else who's working with them on this side of the border. They can stash them away under a rock, under, you know, uh, in someone's garden, for heaven's sakes, and they can go back and get them or tell friends where to get them. So just because you're arresting the individual who comes over who may be a smuggler or a drug dealer doesn't mean you actually get the product. The product is already out in this country. It's killing the American people, and it's time that they understand what's at stake in this immigration battle. And we will be doing everything in our power. The president will be using the bully pulpit of the White House to express the level of danger that exists out there, and not just uh, human trafficking, which is bad enough, but bringing over drugs that come into our country and destroy our communities. Hogan Gidley, Deputy White House Press Secretary, everybody. Hogan, thank you so much for joining. Come back soon. Thanks so much, Buck. Anytime. Team, we're going to roll into a quick break. We will be right back with much more. Stay with me. Elise, I want to put up the, the markets here. Um, this was one the coastal elites missed, the Roseanne reboot. May not be as popular with critics in uh, L.A. and New York, but boy... Look at the middle of the country um, and how well these are the best markets that Roseanne rated. Um, total audience may be bigger than the Oscar. Well, you could say that the era of Obama culture is over. You know, we've gone from girls on HBO to Roseanne, you know, bursting out of the scenes, the most watched network sitcom in the last four years. So are we going to start to see more coverage reflecting the Trump era? I think that this is perhaps an indication and also a really successful revival, too. People like Roseanne in the 90s. They like it now, too. I have to disagree. That was a least Jordan over on MSNBC, the era of Obama culture is over. Obama is going to be a force at Netflix. Susan Rice is now on the board of Netflix. And one show, I mean, this is kind of a, a version of the discussion or the argument you hear from the left. They'll say, oh, you don't have media dominance. You know, we have Fox News. Right. That's one channel. It's the most successful channel, but it's only one channel. There are so many channels where you can get the usual leftist Claptrap, uh, the leftist malarkey propaganda from the Democrat Party, courtesy of the DNC. You get that on on most of the channels, most of the shows. I just think it's kind of funny, you know, it, for people who, you know, on the left, they're always talking about what's what's representative and diversity. And you look at the diversity of shows and it is quite lacking. It is rather obvious that there is a dearth of worthwhile conservative not even conservative just not leftist propaganda shows on tv it's very obvious right so you get one show and you're just like oh yeah the era of obama no it's not this is just one show and as i've noted it's not even conservative i saw the first two episodes you know yeah there's a representation of a conservative but it's not like this is a First of all, it's not a conservative family I think a lot of people want to emulate. 
it's not like this would be we're not particularly uh, excited about the circumstances of this particular family. They're having a they're having a tough go. I understand. But this isn't like, oh, yeah, look at the conservatives doing great. It's only Roseanne who's maybe I guess the husband is, too. I think people are, are overstating the impact this will have in the culture. Yeah, there's a curiosity. You got to isn't it? What's really amazing is you've only got one show on TV that's getting all this attention right now that even has a Trump supporter on it. Where's the Trump supporter on Modern Family? I mean, I guess you could say Ed O'Neill is, but they never make it explicit. I never see them talking about it. Where's the where are the Trump supporters on the rest of the shows and who aren't treated like out of touch buffoons? I just don't think it's it's not what people think. By the way, we're going to talk about the widespread media freakout about Sinclair, uh, which is a uh, broadcaster. This got so much attention from the week, and we're going to talk about that coming up. Also, a little more on uh, David Hogg, the latest there. Some good news from that fight that I wanted to share with you. Uh, so we've got that, and then I'll tell you about McKinley in the third hour and how he is now, McKinley is too hot for statues. You know, it's too too much of a contentious issue. Um, and maybe I'll tell you that uh, there's new research that shows that chocolate is good for you, by the way. Another thing. Last week they said coffee cures cancer, and I was like, nonsense. Ugh, excuse me. Garbage. Crap. Uh, and coffee is, in fact, delicious and is in reasonable quantities good for you. Chocolate, same thing. Antioxidants, yo. They're, like, so good for you. Why? I don't know. No one knows why. People talk about antioxidants. I don't know why they're good for you. I just know they're supposed to be good for you. Chocolate's delicious. Brent in New Mexico. What's up, my friend? Hey, Buck. Shields high. Shields high. Yeah, that's too bad about Netflix, man, with Suzanne Rice and Obama and all that. I love Netflix. Yeah, I still uh, watch it, but you'll notice they gave that guy Bill Nye a show. I think that may be the worst television show I've ever seen. I mean of all time. I think it's up there. I won't let my kids watch it. But isn't Susan Rice worth like millions and millions and millions of dollars now? Susan Rice? I, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming she's yeah. probably pretty wealthy, although I, I, don't, I actually don't know what her net wealth is. Very, these folks uh, get put on... When rare. you get put on the board of a company, it's like the sweetest gig imaginable. For those who aren't up, up to speed on this, if you get put on the board of a company, you basically have to call in to four meetings a year and you get hundreds of thousands of dollars for that. And that's your, those are all your responsibilities. You call in once a quarter to a meeting. And you make hundreds of thousands of dollars. It's a pretty great gig. I, I would take it. I'm pretty sure you would too, Brent. Absolutely. Sign yeah, me up. Sign me up. But yeah. The, but the reason I called was uh, I was listening to your interview, and this guy was talking about how, yeah, we, we got to do this now, not five, ten years down the road. And I got to thinking about that. And that's that's true, man. I know we don't want to compromise on that side. But, but for every day we don't get a deal done, there's a new DACA kid. You know what I mean? There's a new one born. And it's like at the casino, you know, if you're down 800000 you better cash out your chips now before it's, you know, a couple million. You know what I'm saying? Well, I don't think that the I don't think the time is on our side here. I agree. I mean, you've got this caravan coming. I'm sure it's not the, it's not the last, by the way, and it might get a lot bigger by the time it gets close to the border. If I were somebody who was trying to come into the country illegally, what better way than to see a caravan of Central Americans who the media is already saying are going to claim asylum and you say, oh, you know, I'm a smuggler or I'm MS-13 or whatever. I'm going to just turn myself in with this caravan too, get into the country legally, and, and, and let the courts work it out. Right? It's great. You're already in the pipeline for asylum. So I'm sure this 1,000-person caravan is going to get a lot bigger 
And I'm with you, Brent. I mean, they need to they need to figure this out sooner than later because Democrats feel like the constituency in waiting that they have of the soon to be amnestied is just getting bigger and bigger. Shields high, Brent. Thank you for the call. We've got to talk about Sinclair coming up. Also, some abuse of laws uh, we're seeing to seize guns from people. It's not a surprise, but something we have to address. Got that and much more coming up. Stay with me, team. He's back with you now, because when it comes to the fight for truth, the buck never stops. The sharing of biased and false, false news has, has become, become all too common on, on social, social media. media. More all right, so that made the rounds over the weekend. Stuff that made the rounds over the weekend. Welcome to uh, the Buck Saxon Show, everyone. That was a mo- a montage. We need a montage. Uh, are they going to make Team America episode or or part two yet? We need Team America. Team America 2, MAGA Nation or something? It would be amazing. Right? Team America 2, MAGA Squad would be the greatest movie of all time. I'm just putting that out there. Oscar. I mean, yeah, it would be it would be MAGA, it would be MAGA-licious. That much I could tell you. It would be amazing. I watched Team America many times back in the day. Some parts, but I'm not gonna lie. A little little risque. But uh, nonetheless, very, very good movie. And we need we need a Team America for the Trump era. Nonetheless, uh, that was a montage of Sinclair Broadcast Group, uh, which is being turned into a a boogeyman by the left. Oh, they, they control all these channels. What are we going to do? They control these local news channels and they and they skew conservative. Does that sound so scary? It sounds great to me, by the way. I'm sitting here cheering them on, clapping for them, high-fiving them. Great. You mean you mean that there there might be another there might be another player in the world of TV news that is right of center in any capacity? <gasps> to me that sounds great. To me that sounds like something we definitely need in this country. Look, let's do some quick math, folks, or just a quick rundown. What does the left have? spewing their talking points and their version of the news. Remember, news is a narrative. People who say otherwise don't know what they're talking about or they're lying to you. It's a narrative. It's a construct. People look at what's happening in the world or they decide what they think is happening in the world and they write it down and they put it on TV. That's it. A lot of stuff that happens in port never makes it on the news. In fact, I think a lot of nights right now you turn on CNN and it's the I hate Trump channel. Uh, as I said, we got my man gurg- uh, gurgling with Gergen up there. Oh, Trump is, is Watergate is going to be, it's going to be a, a absolutely impeachment. Watergate, Nixon, Ford, Reagan, impeachment, Watergate. That's what's going to happen over there. It's just the I hate Trump channel. That's all they do. It gets boring after a while, don't you think? But Sinclair controls a fair amount of uh, stations, local news stations across the country. Including, by the way, a channel, I believe, here in New York called WPIX that I used to watch growing up because they had all of the, like, second-tier action movies practically running on a loop, man. I saw so many Van Damme, Chuck Norris, and Stallone movies 
playing during like the 8 p.m. hour on WPIX. I loved it, dude. It was amazing. So I have a debt of gratitude to Sinclair for providing me with countless hours as a youth of action movies without me having to go to the video store, which is kind of a, a, a quaint little uh, a quaint little vestige of history now, right? It doesn't really uh, doesn't really exist. I mean, there are some here and there, but but Sinclair gave me gave me lots of Chuck Norris and Van Damme time in my youth, so for that I'm thankful. But they're all angry about this, you know, John Oliver. John Oliver, who's got a show where he curses like really loudly and he lectures Americans on politics, and he kind of looks and sounds funny, and stupid people think he's smart because he's British. He did this whole thing on Sinclair, I think it was last summer, where uh, he was saying how, you know, it's, it's a threat to our democracy. And that became the big, the big line this weekend. Uh, Jimmy Kimmel tweeted out that Sinclair is a threat to our democracy. So more speech is a threat to democracy now, or speech that they don't like is a threat to democracy. This is, I, I think, a continuation of Trump derangement syndrome. That montage I played you was of a really a, a public service announcement that they ran on Sinclair channels. They're like, look, there's, you know, we, we strive to provide you with the best information. You know, there is fake news out there. There are people that say things that aren't true. And if we ever do that, you know, let us know. That's what actually the full statement was all about. And yeah, they ran in all the different channels as a public service announcement. But on any given night, I can tur- I can flip between how ABC, NBC, CBS, NPR, CNN, MSNBC all cover the latest, you know, story in the Mueller probe. And maybe they don't use exactly the same words, but they might as well because it's the same darn thing on any given night. Right. So. This notion that the media doesn't already speak with one voice overwhelmingly on the left is a joke. But the notion that there may be competition in the cable, additional competition in the TV news space. I think Sinclair has uh, coverage in 75 percent of U.S. homes just goes to show you that the left, when it comes to speech in general, but particularly television news, is anti-competitive. It is to their great regret that they can't stamp Fox News out from the get-go because they've done that to other channels. Oh, yes, my friends. There have been other channels that would be conservative news networks that have been prevented from getting full cable distribution for reasons of politics. Because who owns these cable distributors? Oh, that's right. Comcast, Time Warner. Do you think that do you think that those are conservatives, the executives that run those? I'm going to give you a hint. The answer is no. So Sinclair is, according to Jimmy Kimmel, according to John Oliver. Oh, look, I'm so funny and they can just let me curse and talk about American politics. <sighs> that shows they're just all they're just all repeats of each other. You know, it's just it's the same same thing, the same. It's the, the audience. They're like hamsters hitting the pedal. Ha ha ha. Republicans are racist. Ha ha ha. Trump is an idiot. Ha ha ha. He's destroying the country. They're all doing the same thing. I actually had the experience speaking of like uh, a, a single a singular voice in the media. I flipped between the gym. This was over the weekend. I was in a hotel because I was out in, uh, in Indiana. Fort Wayne, great place. I'll tell you more about my trip out there later. And 
I, uh, I, I rarely will watch. Sometimes I like to flip on local TV, actually, when I'm in another part of the country, just to kind of get a sense of, like, how do they roll here with that? You know, what are they putting on the air? Kind of, what kind of ads do they run? And what's, I like to check out the vibe of the local news broadcast or see what they're, you know, we'll see what they're into. You know, you, know, you get up to like Banger, Maine. They're like, a rogue moose on the loose. It's like the most exciting thing you'll see. And everyone's like, oh gosh, look at that moose go. He's gone rogue. Um, but, you know, I like to check out the local news in different places. And uh, I was watching, I, I was flipping through some of the channels. And I happened to stumble upon the broadcast networks, right? Speaking of, of domination of the cable spectrum, so I turn, I, I go from in one series of about two minutes max, I go from the Jimmy Kimmel show, on, I don't even know, I never watch these guys, so I don't even know what, Jimmy Kimmel on one of the networks, to Stephen Colbert on one of the networks, to even Jimmy Fallon on one of the networks, who tends to be, I think, less political than the others. And they're all doing a variation of the same Trump joke. You know, it's like they're all just in the midst of a, you know, Trump is a weirdo destroying the country joke. And I was just thinking to myself, not only has the left now destroyed comedy and they're no longer funny, but they're not even original anymore. They don't even have new, interesting content to offer about how much they hate conservatives and believe in Christians and America and all the rest of it. They, they don't even come up with interesting ways of saying it. It's just all repetitive now. It's all echo chamber effect. And they have no excuse. Because you see, on the right, you could even make the case that sometimes the repetition of messaging is necessary because we are pushing back against much larger and more numerous megaphones. On the left, they just do it because it's easy and because of cowardice, because of go with the flow, the mob mentality. But here, I mean, it's late at night. I'm in a hotel, you know? There's, you know, there's that like... There's that like, oh, I'm in a hotel in a in a new city feel when you're like the first night you're there. And, you know, it'd be nice to flip something on. It'd be nice to turn on the TV. And I don't know. Check in with like maybe maybe they're running Big Trouble in Little China. And I can see my buddy Jack Burton's doing Jack Burton, me, you know, something like that. But instead, I see these different comedians who aren't even funny. And they immediately not insult me, but just annoy me with their crappy Trump jokes, one after another in rapid succession. And so that's the media environment that we're currently in, and that's the media environment where we have members of the media complaining that Sinclair might have a merger with Tribune, which would mean that there is another possible big-time player in the conservative space, which to me just sounds fantastic. You know? What, whatever happened to the free market, folks? Whatever happened to may the best man or may the best company win? Up, 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 up. Whenever it comes, this is this too much. It's anti-competitive. You got to be kidding me. They have ABC in their pocket, CBS in their pocket, NBC in their pocket, CNN. MS, I mean, you go down the list, and we, we can't we can't have one one more channel. That's I don't even know what it would be because it hasn't even formed yet. But they are so set against this and trying to drum up all this opposition by hyperventilating over, and it. it's just nonsense. But that's what they're doing. It really is. It's nice. I got to say, it was nice to be in a city where I could walk around and just have the feeling. This was in, in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Had the feeling of just being like, hey, what's up? You vote for Trump? And there was a pretty good chance he'd be like, yeah, let's make America great again. And I could be like, thanks, random stranger on the street. High five. We probably would get along really well and agree on most things. Instead of in New York, people are like, what do you do? And I'm like, I work, I work in the media, you know. 
I work for a me- media company. You know, I do some stuff. Well, what do you do for that? You know, I mean, write and do some, maybe do a little, little radio. If I want to sound cool, though, I just be like podcasting. Because to the left, podcasting is cool. Radio is owned by the right, so they don't like that anymore. You know, in the talk space, you got to be like, yeah, do a little podcasting, do some stuff here and there. Anyway, uh, I mentioned something to you about. Um, a couple things. We got uh, some updates on the Hog v. Ingram case, which I'll bring to you, and then also uh, guns. They're using laws to seize guns from people that should not have their guns seized. This is not surprising to any of you, I'm sure, but it is still absolutely worth our time uh, to discuss. So we will get into that and much more right after this break. Very interesting news over the weekend. I, I mentioned the issue of uh, firearm confiscations. Don't worry, I'll, I'll get to that. I like to like to put a teaser out there and then, to, oh, let's just switch topics because Buck has a brain that goes in too many directions at once. Sorry. There's other things, though. Uh, London, for the first time in recorded history, more murders than New York City. Yeah. At, now, that's only up to this point in this year, but more people have been killed in London than in New York. And by the way, how are people being killed in London? We get lectures a lot about gun control and gun violence. Guess what? They're being killed with knives, and a lot of it in home invasions. So you have the largest city in the United Kingdom and the largest city in the United States, both around 8 million-ish residents, and you are safer in New York City, where you can own a gun. I mean, you can do it. I know people who, who do. It's, just very, it's a little annoying. It's difficult, but it's not impossible. Versus the UK, where it's basically impossible to get a handgun in, Lo- in London. Basically impossible. Um, and, and yet people who are bad find ways to do bad things. Nonetheless, they kill people with knives and invade their homes while they're in them. Knowing that they're not, they're very unlikely to come up against uh, lethal resistance, lethal self-defense. So, and I'm sure in a lot of cases they've already cased the establishment or cased the uh, residents. No, it's probably an older person, or you know. So that's what's going on in London. So next time they all start lecturing us about, oh, you know, the violence and everything. Well, it's not as it's not as easy. It's not as straightforward a thing as they think. By the way, by the way, it's also a note. Also a uh, a point to make here that New York City, I know a lot of you probably are like, eh, Buck, I don't like New York. That's fine. Where I'm doing the show from right now, though, it's it's a different place than it was 20 years ago. It's so much safer that it, it feels like a different city. It's pretty astonishing. But that's a story for another time. All right, the guns, though. Uh, police legally seizing guns under red flag laws. This was a big story up on Fox News today. Let me give you some of the details here. Alexander McKenzie, 31 year old Army veteran who is being treated for PTSD, had his gun confiscated by the Seattle Police Department, even though he had committed no crime. It's one of 27 guns seized legally by the Seattle Police Department from 16 individuals under Washington's new extreme risk protection order law. Um,. So you have people who are having their guns taken from them under these red flag laws. 30 states, 
according to the the Brady campaign, which was, I forget what the original name of the Brady campaign was, but it was basically the the campaign to ban handguns, right? Now people just refer to it as the Brady campaign. It used to be the campaign to ban handguns, pretty much. What was it called, Mike? I can't hear you. Was it just the Brady Bill? No, originally, before it was the Brady Bill, it was the, the organization was called something else. You'll find out. You'll be like, wow, Buck, your wisdom extends beyond my wildest dreams. How did you know such things? And I'll have to say, Producer Mike, because all I do is read all day. I have no social life, maybe even have no life, uh, but I do read a lot. So there's something to tell you'll see. There's a name. There, it was called something else before it was the Brady campaign. Um, there was another name for it. We'll figure out what it is. I, the, the, I'm seeing the uh, Brady Handgun Violence Prevention Act. Is that what you're thinking of? No, 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 no. I'll find it. I'll find that. I'll tell everybody. I'm just going to pretend that I'm still right, even though it sounds like maybe I'm off the I'm, I'm off the uh, off uh, the field on this one. But anyway, we're coming back to this. So they're, they're getting rid of people's guns now. In this one case, the guy who actually PTSD said he didn't really mind because he was having a really tough time. All right, fine. Here's what ends up happening, though, folks. I just want to prepare you for where this goes. They start to use these red flag laws against people with PTSD. They start to use it against people that have any form of mental illness. What they do is even in cases where they overstep, they're going to say, well, you know what? We're just trying to keep people safe and we're trying to prevent guns from being in the hands of the mentally ill. And it becomes a talking point for them. This is how the propaganda gets made. This is the machinery of the talking points and the propaganda the Democrats will put out there to get national level gun control legislation when they have a Democrat majority, et cetera, et cetera. This is how they do it. They create a situation where you're going to have conservatives, people like me, who are saying, well, hold hold on a second. You can't be taking guns away from veterans who have PTSD or no threat to others or themselves and have done anything, anything illegal, have done anything wrong. And then the, when I get on record saying stuff like that, then the, the way the left responds is, oh, see, the right won't even, won't even agree that we should take guns out of the hands of the mentally ill. They won't get into the specifics that we're talking about veterans with PTSD and, and other people who have you know uh, mental health issues but are not mentally ill. In, in any uh, broad sense of the term. And that's the way that this is meant to. So th- this is just the beginning. It's incrementalism. You'll see more of this with some of these red flag laws in states that are considering passing them. They're going to start taking guns away from people. And then there'll be a really high level, pro- high profile case that will come up. I guarantee it. And once that high profile case comes up, which you won't hear, oh, they're taking guns away from a veteran because of PTSD. You'll just hear, oh, see the NRA wants guns in the hands of the mentally ill. So yes, the gun grabbers are willing to slander veterans and to do so in a way that they won't even be honest about what they're doing in order to try to get more confiscations going. Um, All right, we'll be back in just a minute, team. Stay with me. He's holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. Disgusting, disgusting individuals. Hypocritical and disgusting. She doesn't care about them. She doesn't care about police. She doesn't care about these children's lives. Because our parents don't know how to use f***ing democracy. So we have sick f***ers are out there that want to continue to sell more guns, murder more children, and honestly just get reelected. I see more f***ing money than children's lives. Those f***ers aren't f***ing you. I'm f***ing hell. So that was just a, a, a smattering of what David Hogg goes out in public and says, 
And we could find even worse stuff. Claims people don't care about dead children. Claims that the NRA is a terrorist organization or that it, it could have the blood of children on their faces and they wouldn't stop what they're doing. The implication, of course, that the NRA is responsible for the horrific shooting in uh, Parkland. And this has gotten a lot of attention because we saw something very important and very noteworthy. I guess that's just another way of saying important, so we can scratch one of those from the record. But nonetheless, we saw something very important happen uh, with how this played out with Laura Ingram. And that is, you can't apologize to those who weaponize debates on the left and who turn this into a function of ruining lives ruining livelihoods, ruining careers and reputations. You can't apologize to them because they're not operating in good faith. Laura Ingram apologized. Hogg said he openly said he did not accept. This is a 17-year-old kid. Did not accept her apology. Oh. And then you had all these sponsors pull out. Sponsors that were showing, under the circumstances, a complete lack of any respect for the difficulty of doing a uh, political show like this, uh, a show like Laura Ingram's, where you're going to take positions. Now, look, do I think that Laura should have gotten into this kid getting rejected from school? No. And everyone on the right that I respect has already said that. She made a mistake. I mean, it wasn't a smart thing to do. It wasn't the right thing to do, but it wasn't a terrible thing to do either. It wasn't a big deal. But the left is using Hog as both sword and shield. And there's a huge double standard that's at work as well. The double standard is that when you have someone like Joan Walsh, who's over at CNN, who has said nasty things about, uh, about Kyle Kashev, for example, there's no outcry for her to be taken off the air. No one suggests, oh my gosh, you know, she, she can't be a, a pundit anymore. Oh, I mean, some people have pointed it out now because the Double standard is so disconcerting. It's just so outrageous. But more to the point, we just all need to be very clear. Uh, we need to be very clear about the fact that you can't apologize. You have to. You have to stand your ground, even when you're a little bit wrong. And I know that seems that seems like, come on, Buck. That's not how we do things. But when you're dealing with these character assassins on the left, when you are dealing with a concerted effort to take someone down, to ruin their reputation, to drive away sponsors, to, to really engage in a form of surgical strike economic warfare, which is what this is. And, and by the way, it's not even that surgical. You know, if they pull Laura Ingram off the air, there are people that work on that show who might lose their jobs. I know what this is like. I have friends who are producers at these networks. I know what it's like for these hosts, and I've also been in newsrooms when people have gotten fired for no wrongdoing of their own just because someone, a host, has gotten let go. Oftentimes, they'll can everybody. So is that really fair under the circumstances? No, of course not. Is that called for, given the host being let go and possibly other people losing their jobs as well because Ingram made a joke about, or not even really a joke, just a comment, an ill-advised comment about Hogg's college acceptances? While we're talking about this, I just want to know, is the standard on the left now that we have uh, we ha we have to expect that anyone who is a spokesperson for the March for Our Lives gets into any college they want? Is anything short of that unacceptable? I just would like to know what the what the standard is. Does Kyle Kashev, when the time comes for him to apply to college, get to assume that he can go into any college? And if not, 
there's a political conspiracy against him because that's what was raised before. Now, there's something uh, very instructive about this whole situation with Ingram and Hogg, and it's a reminder for all of us. By the way, Fox News, to its credit, has released a statement today from the co-presidents saying that, you know, Laura is coming back and it's and that's it. And good for them. You know, if we're at the point where Fox News is subject to the pressure campaigns of these activists claiming to be all about the the public good, but really just pushing their own very, very narrow agendas. But if we get to that point, my friends, where are we going to have a voice that's safe? It's just a matter of time before they take off people who are on radio who are hosts that they don't like. They'll start taking they'll pick us off from the top down one by one until they have information dominance in the media space. True information dominance. I mean, there won't be any voices that will really be able to call them out and affect the national conversation. This is critical. And it's also a reminder of why when I say things to you like, please support this show, please support our sponsors. You all have an active role. People ask this. I was asked this this weekend, actually, in a, at WoWo when I was in Fort Wayne and we did a, a live event for our listeners there. You know, what, what can the average folks do here? And it's a question that you, you get a lot, and it's a one that is essential. I understand why people ask it. One of the things you can do is support the side that reflects your values and beliefs in the so-called information war that's going on right now. It means listen. It means spread the word. It means support the sponsors. You know, that's why when I say to you, yeah, please check out sponsors on this show, you see how important all this is. Because if sponsors pull out of a show, for example, and my sponsors are all phenomenal patriots, and you know, I'm not worried about anything like that because they all understand what we do here and we have a great relationship, right? But by you supporting them, the sponsors want to stay around for economic reasons, which is very important to the show. With Laura Ingram, the sponsors leave. The pressure gets turned up all of a sudden to push her aside. You know, it becomes a financial decision. And as I said, Fox News has already said that's not going to happen. But this is what we are up against. And they will do everything in their power to. And they, they don't care. They don't care what lives they destroy in the process. You know, they don't care who they harm and what it means for people. There's no there's no uh, exceptions for good faith debate on the left. No, they view this as just open partisan warfare. And boycotts are among their favored tactics. Right? Boycotts are top of the list. Also running with even the merest allegation of impropriety against a conservative personality as though it is proven and as though there is no other version of events right away. That's another thing that they they like to do. Uh, but, you know, Hogg actually wrote, where's Laura Ingram's? This was on Twitter. Where's Laura Ingram's uh, apology to LeBron James? Oh, so, so now not only does he not accept an apology publicly for him, but he also is demanding apology for. I mean, this is this is demanding that someone bend the knee. And then saying you want to have them metaphorically executed anyway, but then saying that you want them to bend the knee again just because. It's abuse. I mean, this is the kind of stuff that you would expect from Joffrey B- uh, Baratheon in, in Game of Thrones. You know, Joffrey? Joffrey says if you, that's, I, I know, big spoiler alert here. He says if you admit your sins and beg forgiveness, or in this case, if you admit your treason and beg forgiveness, you can live. That's what he says to Eddard Stark. 
um, played by Sean Bean very well in that first season. And yeah, I know, big spoiler here, but guess what? After he admits his treason, little little King Joffrey has him beheaded anyway. Well, you know, if we're now in a culture where in media land somebody can say you have to apologize, you do apologize, then they say not good enough, you still should lose all your sponsors, you still should lose your job, oh, and you should be forced to apologize to other people. That means that this is no holds barred and that's where we are. And you want to know what you can do? You stand by the people. And I don't just this isn't just self-serving for me, although hopefully you feel this way about me in this show. But you stand by people that are speaking the truth, that are bringing you good information and that do their jobs with ethics, with integrity. And that, by the way, do this despite the fact that it would be so much easier to go on the other side. Oh, I've I've talked to all my friends about this here in New York. It'd be so much easier if I were a liberal. And it'd be it's so straightforward too. I know all their arguments. I know them backwards and forwards. I could make them. I could be a sellout. I could be the oh, I used to be a conservative and run on the other side. I just couldn't live with myself though. Couldn't look at myself in the mirror. But you all have a voice and you all have a vote in how this goes. Whether it's by continuing, you know, tweeting out and sending emails about how you stand with Laura or by listening to this show, uh checking out our sponsor websites, buying some of the some of their products and offerings. I mean, that's that's how you show your support. That's how you get into this fight, too. So I'm happy for Laura Ingram that she's coming back. And I'm also happy that we've all realized what's really going on here with this uh, Parkland student movement that's being abused by adults for political purposes. All right. We're going to hit a quick break here, team. We'll be uh, right back. Stay with me. Freedom Hut Tactical Operations Center. All sensitive programs must be kept strictly need to know. Team Buck is cleared. Roger that. And ready for the Buck Brief. We're knocking the hell out of ISIS. We'll be coming out of Syria like very soon. Let the other people take care of it now. Very soon. Very soon we're coming out. We're going to have 100% of the caliphate, as they call it, sometimes referred to as land. We're taking it all back quickly, quickly. Uh, but we're going to be coming out of there real soon. Going to get back to our country, where we belong, where we want to be. There's 3,000 or so fighters still left between Iraq and Syria. We've got to clean that up. We have to help the region in Syria there, the eastern region, stabilize itself and recover. If we don't, I guarantee you, guarantee that ISIS will reemerge. And it'll be another jolt in the arm, and their barbarism will start all over again. The second thing that will happen is we will be turning Syria over to the Russians, to the Iranians, and Hezbollah. And they will encroach on Israel, and there's a potential war on the horizon between Israel and Hezbollah. Wow. President Trump renewed the relationship between the United States and the Sunni Arabs. If he pulls out of Syria... He's doing the very same thing that Obama has did, yeah. letting our Sunni Arab allies down. It makes no sense to me. There you had the current commander-in-chief, President Trump, saying that we are getting out of Syria soon. And a uh, former uh, four-star general, Fox News analyst Jack Keane, saying, look, if we leave Syria entirely, ISIS is going to reemerge. And uh, I'm here to tell you they're both right. I'm here to tell you that 
Trump needs to get our troops out of Syria. We can't have another situation like we do in Afghanistan. We can't be there trying to build a better country for people who won't do it for themselves or who are unable to do it for themselves. The world is a cruel and unfair place. U.S. soldiers do not join in order to create countries for other people who aren't Americans, who do not want to do the work of creating their own polity that is worth fighting for. That is, that is not the purpose of our military, and we've done enough of it recently. Um, and I, I think that Trump has the right instincts with this. Okay, finish the job against ISIS, but you got to go. Do I think General Keene is wrong, that ISIS will reemerge in some capacity? No. We, we already have a near permanent, in a sense, I mean, it depends on how you want to gauge it, but U.S. military presence in Iraq is not going anywhere anytime soon. That's right next door. Uh, we can't be everywhere. We can't be the world's insert, uh, counterinsurgency force. We can't be suppressing every jihadist movement around the globe. Even if we were, let me say this, even if we stayed in our current force posture in Syria right now, there would be another one of the ISIS, the Islamic State's satellite entities, all these ISIS affiliates around the world, uh, that would eventually get enough of a uh, lead against that national army in whatever country we're talking about, whether it's Nigeria or Libya or the Philippines, that there would be another so-called caliphate in existence. This is a whack-a-mole problem. We are going to be dealing with this for my entire lifetime, most likely, and perhaps well beyond that. So we need to pick our battles and not overextend ourselves. Uh, the reason this was in the headlines, I should note, is because we lost a soldier. I've been saying for a while ISIS, Syria, all this matters. We have people in harm's way. And that means that we are going to lose some of our best. And we have. We certainly have in large numbers in Iraq and in Afghanistan, but we've also now taken losses in Syria. This this is uh, from CNN. A U.S. and a British soldier were killed in an improvised explosive device blast in Manbij, Syria. And this was last week. There were reportedly on a classified mission to kill or capture a known ISIS member, according to a Pentagon spokesman. And the U.S. military is releasing, fee, uh, releasing few details about the mission that killed Master Sergeant Jonathan Dunbar and U.K. Soldier Sergeant Matt Tonro. Certainly looks like a Tier 1 uh, elite military HVT, high-value target mission, going after one of the baddest of the bad, and we lost two of our best, to an IED. Now, this is going to happen, folks. It's tragic, it's terrible. We mourn their loss and we comfort and support their families in every way that we can as a people. But if we're going to be going after these savages who run the Islamic State and other jihadist groups, we are going to take losses and casualties. Now, the current force posture in Syria is pretty lean and mean. We do not have that much, at least not that much that we are allowed to know about in Syria. And so to me, it's not, in, it's not urgent that we pull out all the soldiers who are currently there, but we need to not get sucked in deeper and deeper. And yes, it is, it is true that Russia is more entrenched in Syria than we are, and that's going to continue to be the case. It is true that Iran is more entrenched in Syria than we are. That is going to continue to be the case. We can support good guys on the ground in Syria. We can support the Kurds, who we have largely, I think, uh, ignominiously abandoned in recent months. 
or not necessarily abandoned, but certainly haven't stood up for enough. Uh, but we, we can't have this be yet another nation-building project, and we don't even know what the next phase is supposed to be against the Assad regime. We're just trying to keep it from being a launch pad for international jihad. And this is where you start to get into the very unsavory discussion about, well, can we leave behind a weakened enough ISIS that Assad and Syria will keep them in check? And if we keep U.S. special forces and uh, operators, including special forces, next door in Iraq, perhaps we can keep this from spiraling out of control again. There are no easy answers. There are no perfect answers. That's why I'm telling you, Trump is right and General Keene is right. All right, we got to hit hour three. We'll be back in just a few. Stay with me. He's holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. Another presidential statue bites the dust. Welcome to Hour 3 of the Buck Sexton Show, team. I've been telling you for a while, and you've been seeing it yourselves, and you've been telling me, because you know it's true, that there are now no outer limits to the whitewashing of history that's going on with the pull-down of various statues, everything from Robert E. Lee to now Christopher Columbus, the fight over mascots, all kinds of accusations of microaggressions. All of that is happening and continues to get more and more absurd. At first, it was all about Confederate monuments and some professional sports teams and college sports teams mascots, but now it's just going after historical figures. Now it is a political movement underway where progressives are leaning on marginalized groups to be the vanguard of an effort to pull down statues they don't like. And wherever you are across the country, this is probably coming soon to a town near you if it hasn't already hit your town. So the latest is McKinley. I know some of you are probably thinking, Buck, what's the big problem with McKinley? This is not someone who owned slaves, not someone who was part of the wrong side or the uh, of the Civil War or was, you know, there's nothing about him at first glance that would make you think that McKinley statues have to come down. But sure enough, that is, in fact, what's happening. There is this little town I've never heard of before called. I don't know if it's Arcata or Arcata. I'm going to assume it's Arcata just because I like saying that one more. But it's right on the coast of California, it's a small town of, uh, in, you know, in the thousands of people. But they have an eight and a half foot bronze statue of William McKinley. Now, for those who don't know, McKinley was president until he wasn't in 1901. When he was uh, assassinated by an anarchist, this was on September 6, 1901. He was the 25th president of the united states and he was on the grounds of the pan-american exposition at the temple of music in buffalo new york he was murdered assassinated by a fanatical anarchist named leon chalgosh 
Now, I won't get into too much of the... Yeah, you know, Ch- Chalgosh and Guteau, who killed President Garfield, are really the, the lesser known of the four presidential assassins. Everyone knows John Wilkes Booth, and everyone knows Lee Harvey Oswald. But Guteau and Chalgosh are kind of lost to history. But you'd think that McKinley might get a little bit of, I don't know, a tie goes to the runner philosophy because you got a guy here who was assassinated while U.S. president. He doesn't have that much that's named after him. Only president to come from the great state of Ohio. And just recently, under the Obama administration, officially lost the designation of the tallest mountain in, in, in Alaska. So Mount McKinley is now Denali. But he's even going to lose his or has lost his statue in this little very liberal hymn. Yeah, it's, you know, it's California. We're the most liberal city in California. This little liberal place named Arcata. Uh, they're getting rid of McKinley. And now you're probably thinking, Buck, why? What grave sin has McKinley uh, been guilty of in the past that they have to pull down his statue, right? McKinley, as I said, not even alive during the Civil War, never owned slaves, wasn't some segregationist. Oh, it's about his treatment, or rather his policies, in dealing with Native American peoples. Native American groups are the ones who want McKinley's statue gone for, quote, settler colonialism that savaged, raped, and killed. So it's just a a very generic, general opposition to McKinley for being a president at a time when bad things were done to Native Americans. Let me just say that if this is now the, the standard, and I suppose it increasingly is becoming the standard, we can't have statues of anyone who was involved in the founding of this country. We can't have statues of anyone on either side of the Civil War. We really can't have statues of anyone until about 20 or 30 years ago. No, scratch that. I don't think we could have statues of any president except for Barack Obama because... Barack Obama would be the only one who, while in office, wouldn't have been in opposition to same-sex marriage. Oh, but wait a second. Barack Obama opposed same-sex marriage when he was trying to become president. So he also is a human rights criminal by contemporary standards. So who can we have statues of? I guess just Native American peoples who are oppressed. You know, you start to take this to its its own logical ends, and you see that there is no end. There is no stoppage. There is no outer boundary for this. It's just a question of power. It is a question of using the victimology of the left for rewriting our history and trying to dictate our present. I just wonder if it would be considered acceptable at this point for progressives uh, or, or, or if it is necessary for progressives that we rename any states from which we have derived uh, or th- that come from uh, British or Dutch place names. So we have to get rid of New York, for example. We'd have to get rid of Virginia. We would have to. You just go down the line. We couldn't call it Washington, D.C. or Washington State because he owns slaves. Are we supposed to rename everything now? Are we supposed to only have statues that are what heroes of the 20th century civil rights movement and then uh, 
homages to the oppressed and victimized Native American peoples of this country? Is that really the only part of our history that we are allowed to celebrate or even memorialize in any meaningful way? This is crazy. But you see this on Columbus Day now. You see this with various presidents. You see this with the founding fathers. Just wait. Give it time. They'll go after Lincoln, too. The man who presided over the eradication of slavery. I also just can't help but notice that the double standard here, the hypocrisy, is stifling. How is it that McKinley is a subject for leftist ire right now? Which, by the way, how many Americans even know anything about McKinley? Some may know that he was assassinated and that there was a big mountain named after him. But after that, I'd be willing to bet that most folks would kind of scratch their heads. And if they even knew that the guy was president, you'd have to assume, all right, you know, not a bad showing based on what the general crowd knows. But why is it that I don't see any movements in California or New York in the bluest of the blue states to take down, eliminate, remove all statues that have anything to do with Franklin Delano Roosevelt, FDR. FDR sent Japanese Americans into internment camps, not in the 19th century, not in the 18th century, but in the 20th. Within living memory for, well, uh, some Americans at this point, it was not that long ago. I often have to use a roadway here in New York City called FDR Drive. There's the FDR, Rosa, uh, FDR Memorial on the Tidal Basin in Washington, D.C. Uh, there's the Roosevelt Room of the White House in Washington, D.C., which I believe is for FDR and not for Teddy Roosevelt. There are lots of schools and bridges and streets all named for FDR. He engaged in what is obviously uh, racial profiling, racial discrimination, and just outright racism in the context of the day and in the context of today. So why is there no outrage? Why is there no outcry? Oh, that's right. Because leftists and cultural Marxists in this country have elevated FDR, have rewritten the history to suggest that FDR's programs of massive government and of the redistribution of wealth and the creation of these enormous bureaucracies, that all of that saved the country and was economically successful and put us on a path towards the progressivism of today. So they're willing to overlook FDR's misdeeds, but now they're going after McKinley. And I think this, is, this much is obvious, right? If they can go after McKinley... They can go after any historical figure they do not like. In time, they'll decide that because Ronald Reagan was for traditional marriage, he was a human rights violator and should be stripped from all public monuments and memorials. And I'm not saying they'll always get their way with this, but they will try. They'll keep pushing and pushing. And over time, they hope to change the culture and change the conversation enough that they can get their way. But if McKinley and his rather tragic administration, one of the four U.S. presidents to have been assassinated, 
if even his legacy is going to get caught up in the culture wars of today, nothing is safe. Nothing is free from it. You can't assume that there is any historical figure until at least the last few decades, maybe even last few years, who won't be a subject of controversy for leftist activists in the future. They put a rope around McKinley, the statue, and they tore it down. They'll do it to more places unless we push back. Rolling into a quick break, team. We'll be right back. Forget climate change. Genetics is the most contentious field of science right now, bar none. I had a lovely Sunday. I went to uh, Easter service with my little sister. We're in different parts of the city, so the Sextons went to different churches. But I went with my sister, and then we had a nice family dinner for Easter. And one of my brothers said that he was taking one of those tests where you uh, spit into a tube and you send it in and you get your ancestry readout. It's genetic testing. Now, that just sounds like some fun, and we're curious to see what the breakdown is. We were all taking some uh, educated guesses last night, but there are much more powerful and contentious tests that are going to start coming to an internet service near you that don't just measure your ancestry, but are starting to measure intelligence. This via IQ. And if you've read anything about the science of IQ, it is overwhelmingly, time and again, proven that IQ is largely inherited and that IQ, which they sometimes refer to as G, just the letter G as the variable for it, as a means of trying to measure IQ, uh, that IQ correlates with all kinds of life decisions and life achievement. Now, correlates does not mean cause. You could have a very high IQ and lead a miserable and unsuccessful life. You could have a low IQ and have an incredibly successful and happy life. But there is something there. And it is, based on the science, much more likely to be a function of your genetics, as much as a lot of people don't want to hear that, uh, than it is your environment. The nature-nurture conversation is one in which one side presents analysis of numbers and scientific findings and controlled experiments again and again and again. And the other side just says, that's wrong. And the moment they start looking at aggregate IQ data among populations, sure enough, they will say, that's racist. And you get into some very sensitive territory here where no one really wants to be treated like some kind of bigot or eugenicist by making the case that IQ is largely inherited, it is genetic, and that in the aggregate, as explained in Charles Murray's book, The Bell Curve, there are mean, meaning average, not true in every case by any means, mean differences between various races when it comes to IQ. Just to state, by the way, what The Bell Curve is about is to come under suspicion now. 
just to tell you that I have read the bell curve is in progressive and I mean progressive intellectual circles, almost like saying, you know, I, I keep a copy of Mein Kampf somewhere just in case put aside for a moment that you actually should read Mein Kampf. So you have an understanding of the evil of Hitler and his ideology. Right. The same reason I would read Mein Kampf is that why I read ISIS and assorted jihadist groups propaganda. But one side of this debate on IQ isn't interested in greater information and scientific discovery. They view this as an issue of politics and righteousness. And that's why once some of these uh, tests become available for consumer use, inexpensive, and you can get a sense of your IQ. Oh, and by the way, also your genetic predispositions to a whole bunch of things. Different diseases like arthritis and diabetes and heart disease. Oh, that's right. Weight. Now, I'm veering away from the science for a second, but I will tell you this because I read obsessively on some issues and particularly some areas of health. Weight is one of the most oversimplified issues by many in the, uh, well, not necessarily in the scientific community, but the people who think they are educated, when in reality, everybody metabolizes differently, has different levels of sensitivity, different levels of insulin resistance. This notion that you or I are as likely to gain weight or drop weight from a certain caloric intake in certain foods as the person next to us is about as scientific as saying, well, I, you know, I'm going to be as tall or when I was when I was a baby, I was going to be as tall as every other baby in the nursery. Calories in, calories out matters, but how your body processes it is different for every human being. Just like how, no matter how much I tried, I was never going to be an NBA-level basketball player. I wasn't going to be tall enough. I wasn't going to be able to jump high enough. It was a function of my personal genetics. But we live in a society that almost fetishizes the notion of we all are exactly, in every way, equal. Not equal in the eyes of God and equal in the eyes of the law. Those are two things that we are, or at least should be with the law, but equal in terms of our gifts and abilities. It's just not true. And it's not helpful for everyone to go through life believing that if they only worked a little harder, they could also be a genius mathematician. If they only spent a little more time in the gym, they could also reach you know, Olympic levels as a sprinter. The science on all of this is already clear and only going to get clearer. Genetics really do matter when it comes to ability, and that includes intelligence. It doesn't mean they determine it, and it doesn't mean that someone is any more or less worthy as a person. But we need to stop shouting down scientific discovery in this area because it makes us somewhat uncomfortable and opens up a lot of difficult areas of discussion for public policy analysis and society as a whole. If we just treat each other as individuals with our own individual gifts, skills, and treat each other as the sum of our actions and not our ancestry, we'll all be fine. But we shouldn't pretend that the science is not clear on this, because it is. Genetics matter, especially for intelligence.
He's back with you now, because when it comes to the fight for truth, the buck never stops. I know it's a little late in the show, team, but uh, I think it's time for a buck slap. Sounds like you never seem to catch on. It's actually very simple. Wow, that is quite a, that is a series of slaps. That's like the thousand hand slap. You cannot defeat my wushu style. All right, so uh, Acosta. You all know Acosta. He is among the most grandstandy of grandstanders at CNN. He is the one who complains when CNN doesn't get questions. You, you have to pull over the ambulance for Acosta sometimes because he's used to the Obama administration where CNN was a favored, not necessarily favorite, but certainly a favored media outlet. And now sometimes, you know, they got to stand in line with the rest of the hardworking journalists of America. And it doesn't he doesn't like that very much. But this past weekend on Easter Sunday, no less, Jim Acosta decided that uh, it was time to to press the president for answers while the president, the first lady and some children were out on the White House lawn painting Easter eggs. I mean, this is the kind of presidential pageantry that, you know, take it or leave it, but everyone kind of understands what this is, right? With some kids painting some Easter eggs, but not Acosta, man. He wants answers. Mr. President, what about the DACA kids? Should they worry about what's going to happen to them, sir? Didn't you kill DACA, sir? Didn't you kill DACA? Yeah, that, that's the time to get a, get a soundbite going when he's painting the Easter eggs with Little kids. Now, I understand they'll say, oh, it's their right. It's the First Amendment. They're trying to just speak truth to power and everything else. Let me just say that I remember what it was like during the Obama administration. And if a member of the press pushed too hard, you remember, I think it was that guy from the Daily Caller, actually, who when Obama gave a a speech in the Rose Garden, he just at the end tried to get in a question when Obama didn't want to take questions. And, oh, there was such an outrage. How dare you, sir? How dare you ask questions of the great Barack Obama? It's terrible you would do such a thing. How uncouth. How barbarous. But now that it's the Trump administration, all the old rules no longer apply. Uh, The hypocrisy from the media is endless. Uh, But you have at least one person who's not letting the... Well, I'm obviously not letting it slide because Acosta gets the buck slap. Uh, But we have one person out there who has also decided to uh, call out Acosta. On Twitter, uh, Brad Parscale, who is Trump's 2020 campaign manager and kind of looks like a guy who might be from the show Sons of Anarchy. I'm just saying. It's not who you would expect to be the campaign manager. Like if Parscale wasn't wearing a suit and all of a sudden threw on a, a cut off, you know, a sleeveless leather jacket and had a, a, a big gang emblem on the back, you'd be like, he's part of the, you know, something, something riders. I don't know any cool, uh, any cool names from the Sons of Anarchy. I only saw a couple episodes. I should go back and watch more. I know, guys, my list at this point, you'll notice I don't ask for any more show recommendations because my list is long at this at this juncture. But Parscale tweeted out, maybe it is time for Acosta to get a suspension for breaking protocol. Ooh. And then Parscale, uh, well, Parscale wrote that, and then Acosta came back and responded, 
um, that he was just doing his, just doing my job, he writes, which is protected by the First Amendment of the Constitution. You might want to give it a read. Ooh, saucy. Yeah, that's right. Over over at CNN, the rules are constantly changing, and they have decided, sure enough, that uh, whatever they have to do to get in a soundbite that shows their opposition to Trump, they are absolutely willing to do so. You know, I, I was just telling some folks over the weekend when I was in Indiana, we had some Q&A at this uh, talk tank session with, with WoWo, the station out there, our, our fantastic affiliate in Fort Wayne. And, you know, I was sitting around and talking to some of the folks, and I was trying to explain how I think Twitter, for all of its shortcomings, uh, because it is an echo chamber of stupidity a lot of the time, has been fantastic. It allows the president to go right around the media and go right to the people with whatever he feels like saying. Doesn't have to call a press conference, doesn't have to, and it just gets out there into the public domain right away, which is great. I'll talk more about Twitter uh, coming up in the next segment. But also, it is the thing that has finally shattered the falsehood that the media has been running with for so long that their journalists are, in fact, unbiased, that they just do, you know, down the middle, based on the facts, just the facts and all the rest of it. Because when you got a guy like Acosta, who makes it very clear from his Twitter account how opposed to the administration he is, he can't do that at 9 a.m. and then at 6 p.m. appear in the news. Oh, I'm just a news anchor. I'm just here to tell you what happened today. And I'm about as unbiased as a weatherman. I would note, I think even weathermen, because of climate change, in many cases, are politicized. And I'm not particularly happy right now because weathermen gave me bad news for today. I'll get into that later as well. Um, But nonetheless, things are moving along with Acosta and all the rest. They can't hide anymore. We get to see an online, real-time record of their thoughts. We get to know where their biases really are. And as much as they can try to hide them now... They're out there for all of us. They're really a matter of public record. And so I think that's fantastic for this business. And it's really why CNN is in these paroxysms. It's a dope word, isn't it? Paroxysms. Come on, John. You can give a little nod to that one. That's pretty good. I just pulled that out of nowhere. It's not like I got a list here. Paroxysms of rage. It's because they are no longer able to pose as what they had in the past, which is the down the line journalist, the gold standard of journalism, all the rest of that. So, yeah, Acosta receives our buck slap of the day. There'll be more this week. Don't worry. And, John, can we do some more? I really like the the particularly um, uh, exciting buck slaps. We need to get some more of those going here. That one gets me fired up. I really want to. Yeah, exactly. It makes me feel like I want to put on my gi and go to the dojo and study with the Shidoshi. Booyah. Quick break. We'll be right back with Roll Call. I almost couldn't believe it when I woke up this morning in New York City and there was more snow coming down. Ah, gosh. You know, it just seems unfair. I wanted to say uh, thanks to everyone out in Fort Wayne, Indiana, who uh, hung out over the weekend. I I was able to meet some of the WoWo family out there. And thanks to the whole team at WoWo Radio in Fort Wayne. Uh, We had a really fun Talk Tank Summit. I got to meet some fantastic Hoosiers, not Indianans, which I had to figure that one out. And uh, it was a great weekend, though. Uh, eight, no, no less than two ribeyes. I wanted to get the full scope of Indiana ribeye steak. So Friday, I had 
just a classic ribeye. And then Saturday, I had a tomahawk, which I'm sure is a microaggression, or bone-in ribeye. So two ribeyes in 48 hours means Indiana, you get a big high five. And I hope I get a chance to come out and hang out again soon. Uh, which reminds me, I think next on the list is going to be Austin, Texas, to go see the folks at KLBJ. But Buck Takes America will continue piece by piece. And with that, you know what time it is. Team Buck, it's time for Roll Call. Yeah, Groovy Tunes. I I love that style of music. I think it's Big Band. Although, I might be getting that one wrong. Uh, But one day, I'll throw a big party, and we'll have a live band, and they'll play tunes like that. And you know what? Maybe it'll be a Team Buckapalooza event somewhere. I've got all kinds of fun ideas, so stay tuned for that. All right, let's get into it. Uh, If you want, let's get into it. I don't know why all of a sudden I sound like a foreigner, but... Uh, if you want to send me your thoughts, facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. And, and please, team, I would encourage you, especially in this day when you have the president of the United States putting out policy pronouncements via tweet, sign up for a Twitter account. It's free. Uh, we can talk more about it on our Facebook page uh, so you get a sense of who to follow and how to use it. But it's a great way to get caught up quickly with the news and also to communicate with fellow members of the team, especially for the younger members of Team Buck. Sign up for Twitter, follow Buck Sexton, follow who I follow, and start start getting into the tweets. I'm telling you, it's really worthwhile. All right. First up here, uh, we've got Kevin. He writes, Buck, I follow about a half dozen podcasts from political commentary to old-time radio shows, and there's just one I never miss, the Buck Sexton Show. Just saying, keep up the good work. Well, Kevin, that is really kind, and uh, I greatly appreciate that, so... Please do, uh, con- please do continue to listen and spread the word. And, and it means a lot, let me tell you. I've got some projects that you'll be hearing about coming up in the next few weeks, certainly the next couple of months. And it, it keeps me going late into the night and it keeps me able to, uh, you know, keep Miss Molly on my side, even though I, she, she goes to bed and I'm usually up working for another two or three hours every night. That's how we get this done. So thank you for your kind words. Uh, Chris writes... Uh, I'm a longtime listener, and I was listening to your Thursday podcast where you talk. You were talking about how you wish there was a sitcom with an all-American family. My wife and I feel the same way, and we have recently acquired the complete series of Home Improvement. It is older, but a great show to watch without having politics shoved down your throat. It is Tim Allen playing another great American family man. Love your show and shields high. Well, Chris, I will check it out. So thank you very much for the uh, for the kind note and uh, please keep listening uh, david next up here he says buck please think about making oss shirts with a military world war ii theme to them uh, david that sounds great we are revamping our gear we are revamping our website so uh, we're working on all of the above thank you for the suggestion um, next up here we have uh, michael who writes by the way You were way off base with your discussion of Spanish Harlem. It's not a new phenomenon. Uh, The song Benny King released Spanish Harlem in uh, 1960. Uh, Mostly Puerto Ricans and some Dominicans. And Michael is correct. Uh, I 
so I stand corrected on this one. It is, in fact, the case that while Compton, which is a well-known, predominantly African-American neighborhood in Los Angeles, has recently, in the last 15 to 20 years or so, become almost entirely Latin American, uh, Spanish Harlem has been Spanish Harlem for quite a long time. Uh, There have been some other demographic changes in New York that are more recent. A part of northern Manhattan, for example, has become much more heavily Dominican, and there has been a lot of demographic inflow from Latin America, uh, but Spanish Harlem stretches back much further than the uh, recent decades where you've seen demographic change in a lot of these cities. And there you have it. See, if I get it wrong, I let you know and we correct it. But savor the flavor, Michael, because it's not going to happen again. Oh, by the way, just a little bit of trivia. Before it was Spanish Harlem, it was actually largely Italian immigrants in that part of uh, what is now Harlem, northern Manhattan. Now I want to switch gears and get into some of the emails we get. Remember, officialteambuck at gmail.com. That's officialteambuck at gmail.com if you want to send us your thoughts via email instead of Facebook. Uh, And we are still working on setting up a voicemail inbox where any of you who have thoughts, if you have an action movie quote for me, for example, or anything else, uh, we can leave that voicemail open so those of you who don't get to listen live can always join in on the fun when you can. This email comes courtesy of Larry. He writes, Dear Buck, love your show and the Shields High stories. I've only been listening to your podcast for about two months, but I knew who you were from your guest hosting for Glenn, Sean, and Rush. I just didn't know you had your own show until I found your Shields High posts. I've collected laundry list of items I wanted to mention. Some may be a little stale, but I don't write often to radio shows. Um, Nancy Pelosi's whining about bonuses into permanent wage hikes is a bad idea. The Dems could just undo tax reform and tax your new wage increases. It should stay as bonuses. So when the tax cut ends, so does the bonus. That would make a clear linkage to Dem policy and your salary. Uh, twice recently, you used the word archaic when you, in the context of your usage would have implied arcane was the word you meant. Not a big deal. You generally have excellent use of language. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you're correct. Well, I shouldn't say I'm sure you're correct, but that sounds like something I might have done. Those words are pretty close. Archaic means essentially uh, old-fashioned. Arcane means kind of obscure and not understood by very many. Anyway, Larry closes it up with keep up the good fight. Larry in Ohio. Thank you so much, Larry, for the kind email. And uh, always, always let me know if you think I uh, missed one, even if it's just a word. Got to keep it 100% here in the Freedom Hut. Uh, Kathy, who is Original Saturday Squad, OSS, down in Georgia. She writes, hey, Buck. I just listened to your podcast from Thursday and your review of the TV show Roseanne. While I don't care for the show myself, I heard your description of what you believe would make a great sitcom for conservatives. I just wanted to let you know that the show you described is called Last Man Standing with Tim Allen. We got another vote for Last Man Standing here. The show was funny and witty, and I still watch the reruns today. If you have not watched it, I I suggest you do, as it will prove to you a good conservative sitcom can be made. There are rumors all over the web. The powers that be are thinking about bringing the show back. I hope they do. Kathy OSS down in Georgia. Uh, Kathy, I'm going to check it out for sure. I've got some time coming up on the road where I'll be solo uh, traveling, and that would be a great time for me, assuming this is on Netflix or Hulu, to catch up a bit with the show. And now we got an email in from Chuck, who writes, first, great show. See, Chuck is a wise man. He knows. You know, you got to butter up the host a little bit. And then I'll read you guys correcting my grammar and my usage of vocabulary. But first, you got to, you know, great show. 
or you've just got to say something funny. Uh, All right. He writes, I agree. We must be careful how we treat Russia right now. They are not the bold Russia surrounded by a safety blanket of buffer states of the 1960s Cold War. This is a vulnerable, threatened country who surprisingly feels bullied. I feel there are two incidents in Russian history that should not be ignored. These incidents are the Mongol domination invasion from the east and the western invasion of the Swedish Rus. Both these events left the Russians feeling vulnerable and fearful. In short analysis, I think these events leave the Russians feeling insecure when they are not surrounded by a buffer of people who will suffer before them. Uh, I have witnessed this in dealing with Russians I know. Any suggestion of Russia as less than anywhere else brings a very chilly result. Uh, The same statement to say a Brazilian will get a huge laughing agreement. Oh, yeah, we're a wonderful mess. Yeah, they are freaking. And I can tell you everyday Russians do freaking out. And I can tell you everyday Russians do not understand why they're public enemy number one worldwide worldwide. All that paranoia and a huge arsenal of nuke weapons. Uh, This is from Chuck in Grand Rapids. Chuck, great email. And you're correct about the Russian sense of territorial insecurity Maybe that's an issue that we'll return to. And maybe John Halford McKinder can provide some of that analysis for us. What's that all about? Are we going to get all geopolitical here in the hut? You know the answer is yes, but not today. Until next time. Shields high.